You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. This is a Lanyap podcast with Doug and Greg Stokes with Stokes Family Office. It is Friday, January 7th, 2022. We've had a lot of market information this week and headlines related to the economy and information from the Federal Reserve. I want to first start with a couple headlines. First, Wednesday of this week, there was a minutes released from a Federal Reserve meeting. Chairman Jay Powell discussed the potential for what's called a triple threat of tightening, which is raising of interest rates, tapering of asset purchases, and then also balance sheet reduction, something that hasn't really occurred since 2018. So I want to discuss that. And and second, we had our jobs report this morning from a headlined unemployment rate 3.9% and jobs increase of 199,000 appears on the surface good. Markets reacted poorly because it appears a risk of slowing growth, but persistent inflation. And many have coined that as a stagflationary environment. I think it's interesting that even though the jobs market has really come back since COVID, we're still 3.6 million jobs below where we were in February 22. So there's 152.5 million payrolls in February 2020. There's about 149 million in payrolls December 2021. So almost two years later, 3.6 million less jobs. I and mean, where would that be without COVID? Probably 10 million less jobs if COVID wasn't around. But Greg, what are your thoughts? Markets are kind of choppy. The value area of the market has been pretty stable and all the interest rate sensitive growth names are taking a hit. Well, I think it's all very interesting from the perspective of the headline looks good. If you do look at it through the lens of the the, the glass is half full, in the immediate aftermath of COVID, the unemployment rate got up to like 14%. And there was concerns that the unemployment rate was going to go up to like 20%. And that's when the legislation, the CARES Act, I believe, the CARES Act came into play. And then here we are about almost two years later, and the unemployment rate is under 4%, which is, if you look back at history, 95% of the time, it's higher than where we are. So if the just from on the surface, the unemployment rate is really low. But part of that is because there's just a lot of people that are not working nowadays. They're not looking for work, not in the workforce. I'm sure people see this in their day-to-day interactions, but what I, I specifically see it from the standpoint of the service industry, hospitality especially. I very much empathize with the people that are in those jobs because there's just not enough staffing at restaurants and bars and hotels nowadays. Do you see that as well, Doug? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely kind of a shame that restaurants are still struggling. I mean, there is... I'm looking at this now. There's still more than 10 million open jobs out there. Now, a lot of that, I think, is just resulting from stimulus that was coming in that is basically waning. I mean, savings rates, if you look at where personal savings rates were at the beginning of 2021, they're basically higher than they've ever been. And a lot of that was due to transfer payments from the government and you know people not traveling, not eating out, staying at home more. That is coming down. And so, and then those transfer payments have ceased as of, I think, August or September of 2021. So 
the hope is that people will rejoin the workforce. Sort of the skeptic in me says that, you know, for those the aging population that were nearing retirement anyway, they may have just accelerated that with an early retirement. So especially with where markets have been in the last 10 years, I, I would imagine that people are hitting their retirement objectives earlier than they were planning on if they were doing any planning whatsoever, just because of the growth in, in markets. But Right. And I think that this was like an impetus too for a lot of people in the hospitality industry. It's a tough, the hospitality industry is specifically a difficult place to work to begin with. And I think that the, like the impetus of the COVID lockdowns and everything and people losing their jobs, I don't know if there's ever going to be people that want to return back to those types of working environments where they're having to deal in kitchens and dealing with people that are drinking or whatever. I know it's a tough job to begin with. And so I don't know if and or when that's going to ever get going to normalize. I think that there may be a place for technology, but I don't think the technology is going to come into play anytime in the near term at all in that specific area. Yeah. I mean, I don't think those jobs go away by any means. I think that people are still going to want to travel, still going to want to eat out, go to bars, go to restaurants. And potentially technology does has some sort of impact on that. But the demand for that's going to be there. So the only other driving force is just going to be increased compensation for those particular jobs. And maybe that's what there's a holdout for. And that would be obviously inflationary if wages and the biggest sector in the economy increase substantially. I just view this as um, you know potential negative that we've got a slowing economy and slowing job growth where inflation numbers are printing where they we were talking about last episode. So that brings people back to the scary 1970s days. And I'm not sure we're there by any means, uh, but that's the fear. And that's where a lot of shakeup in the markets are right now. I saw a statistic on speaking of shakeup in the markets and you know, the term bear market is, has a meaning behind it and basically means that if the market itself is 20% decline, or more, it's considered a bear market. I saw a statistic that about 71% of the NASDAQ names have declined by more than 20% from their highs. And so I think that that's pretty interesting that there's such dislocation in the markets that you know the leaders are continuing to lead. Some areas of the market that are less long-term interest rate sensitive are holding up fine. And then there's just this whole swath of names that, um, that are really getting hit hard. I find that fascinating. I think part of the reason why there's so much negative sentiment right now amongst people in the markets, even though the markets are 1% or 2% off their high, I think that because of the fact that there's some of these constituents that are off so significantly, like you mentioned, over 70% of the NASDAQ is in a bear market. I think that's breeding some of that negativity. It's interesting if you look at like all of the high-flying names from the lockdown period, like Teladoc. Peloton, Lemonade. I don't even know what Lemonade does, to be honest with you. But these were companies that were just absolutely shooting through the roof during COVID. And I know, for example, Peloton and DocuSign and Teladoc are off 50 plus, 60 plus, 70% off their highs. Yeah. And they're traded, their valuations are less than on a price to sales basis, less than they were pre pandemic. And um, I think there's just some a mass dumping of some of these names. And then it's like, it's just starting to focus on the continued ability to 
grow at levels that they were growing during the pandemic. And I think we're seeing that with like, with specifically with Peloton, that it's not a, I don't know if it's a fad or not. I own a Peloton. I know you own a Peloton. Have you been riding yours? No. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm definitely am riding mine less than I, than I was. I'm sick of it now, honestly. I still go on it every now and again and I enjoy it, but it's just now that there's stuff to do, that's the last thing that I want to do is to be on like a virtual exercise class. Not only that, it's like, I think I have very specific taste in music and I cannot stand some of these, like whether it's like new age pop or EDM, electronic dance music, is that what it stands for? Mm -hmm. Like some of this stuff that they're playing is so obnoxious that I can't handle the workout. I have to, it's like either nineties rock or classic rock or something like that. And there's very few episodes or classes. That I'm the opposite. I, I wouldn't want to work out to classic rock, but I wonder if it, and now, so Peloton pre COVID, I remember because I owned Peloton for a while, the stock, the whole investment philosophy behind that I've followed to a certain degree with some, some like play money is to look at what's going around in the world and and to invest accordingly and i bought some peloton stock for myself in april of 2020 or may of 2020 because my wife was bugging me about buying a peloton and so i figured that that sentiment was probably going on in the rest of the world the rest of the country i think it was like in the 30s or something like that when i bought in right after the pandemic started and then it got up to like $170 a share at one point. And now it's actually below, it's like, it's in the low 30s. So it's even lower than what it was really when the pandemic started. You so, sold it, right? Yeah. Because part of the reason in that same sort of sentiment of what's going on around me, I, I noticed that we stopped using it so much and just, I guess, got lucky in terms of exiting for that specific reason, because I figured that that sentiment was probably shared by a lot of other people. But I do still think that this has to play out, but I still think that they've got a pretty viable business and I do go on it every now and again and I do enjoy myself, but not as much as what as I used to. But the business itself, it's like a $10 billion business now. So I wonder if that's gonna become like an acquisition target for another company, but it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening with a lot of these like COVID, these COVID darlings that are now like in the, in the dumps basically. Yeah, all the... Uh all the individual stocks I own are ones that nobody really wants to talk about at a cocktail party. It's like your infrastructure for payments. Philip Morris. Right. <laughs> exactly. So like good old world railroads and tobacco companies and payments platforms and banks is my personal account. That what I'm not doing with, you know, direct indexing and things like that, which we do for other clients. I have a personal account that I'd like to do stock selection in and follow the old world bottoms up analysis versus the trend following. Well, I, I tell you what, that particular investment style, following the bottoms up, buying earnings, buying companies that, that have consistent earnings, that raise their earnings consistently, was really not in favor at all really over the last, up until the last 18 months or the last seven to 10 years. But it has definitely come in favor recently. And during the COVID period, you could basically buy any sort of software company and you're pretty much going to probably make money on that. But that's absolutely that the narrative has definitely shifted more towards your old industrial type companies lately. 
I used to get so frustrated during COVID when I was like, you know, talking with people and they had their Robinhood account and they were just like two and three Xing their positions in like buying Roku and and all these like some of these companies, even like the cryptocurrencies like Dogecoin, all these companies and cryptos that nobody even knew what they did, but they were going up in price. I remember uh, somebody was telling me they had a they bought for ten cents battery technology company that went up to like four dollars in like six weeks. They had like a forty x on their position. And it's just so frustrating for somebody that is like feels like they're classically trained in analysis to see all of these. You know, people making money on these names that didn't even know what their the company did, but it does appear like there's vindication. I feel vindicated at least some, <laughs> somewhat over the last few months. But yeah, that was happening for a while. It's pretty interesting if you look at the correlation between a lot of these, the seventy one percent of the individual constituents in the Nasdaq that are down, and the correlation between those types of companies that have been trading at multiples of revenue and cryptocurrencies. It's really interesting to see how closely like these companies like DocuSign, for example, have traded on a correlation basis to Bitcoin, for example. Yeah, that's what I don't get about the whole Bitcoin argument as a store of value and a replacement for gold and stealing market share away from gold. And basically the argument is that gold was down 3% last year, 4% last year, and it was sort of a high inflation year. And the sort of narrative is that gold is a hedge against inflation. And so the argument that people were making was that, yeah, because all the dollars are shifting away from gold and into Bitcoin, and which is the a better version of gold, basically. That was the argument. Yeah, I don't buy into that either. Yeah. From my vantage point, and I have no dog in this hunt, I don't own crypto and I don't own Neither do I. gold. Yeah. It just seems to me that, it, that Bitcoin and Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies are just a leveraged bet on high growth. And so- at least it's a risk on basically asset versus risk off. The way I look at it is it's a speculative thing. And when speculation is high, those are probably do well. And then the same thing goes with those NASDAQ components that may not have a real business yet. But if people are wanting to be very speculative, those should do well. I think that will may shift at some point in the future when there's more adoption of these technologies at mass scale. I think right now, most of it is like retail participation. And mm-hmm. so it's just sort of weak hands on both sides, you know, that when things are not going well in markets in general, I think people are just dumping, dumping everything. And instead of viewing that as sort of a hedge on overreaching government and inflation, it's basically just a complete speculative bet right now. My guess is that changes at some point in the future, and it's actually viewed as a specific asset class. But right now, it's like 1995.com tech plays that are occurring in crypto land. 100%. That's my guess. Yeah, I think that there is going to be, and similar to the nineteen late 1990s when the vast majority of the dot-com stocks were basically, they went belly up. I do think that there are going to be And there are a few winners out of it, like Amazon, obviously. I do think that there are going to be a few winners out of whatever cryptocurrencies exist if we look at it in the future. But obviously, who knows what's going to be the winner and what specific functionality that it serves and whether or not it's even been invented yet. But I definitely agree with you. And I do think that that it's been very easy for people to make money in that space. 
especially when you look at the smaller cryptocurrency coins. That seems to be people, the weak hands are getting washed out. And I, I think it's going to be, that may, it, and I wouldn't be surprised if that process accelerates even further. And I wonder how it's going to look in the future, but I do think that there's going to be some winners out of that space. So my concern with taking a position in Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of these is just the idea that what if you're making a bet on Netscape right when you know Windows Internet Explorer and Google Chrome are coming in behind it. Like you could be investing in the first mover and completely go to zero just because a better technology is coming down the line. And so I've had such reservation about investing in these coins for that specific reason. I just don't have the knowledge as to you know, what other technologies are out there. But if you look at the amount of talent from Ivy League institutions, Stanford, MBA programs, from other venture capital firms or operating companies that are all moving towards development of blockchain-based companies and technologies. That to me just says that this is not something that's going to go away, that this is going to be, this is a new wave of technology that is going to be part of our future tech stack. But who knows what the winner is going to be? I guess my point is, is that I'm long-term bullish on the fact that this is a game-changing technology for the pure reason that all the brightest people at all the major institutions are mostly focused on this. And in terms of an investment side of it, I'm basically taking a step back and leaving that to people that know more about it than me. You know, it's an area that I think would be a awesome use of blockchain is chain of title. Yeah, I think that is the biggest use case. Is like, I mean, how ridiculous is every time you transact on a house buying title insurance? And so that, I think, like, you know, I was watching an interview about, you know, companies that are developing games based on blockchain and the developers of the game and the players of the game both receive compensation based upon their contributions. And those are all blockchain based. There's tons of different applications. And basically the whole premise is of any sort of blockchain based company is that, I guess there's two premises. One is that you're removing a middleman from a transaction. So it's like a trustless process without an intermediary confirming that transaction. So you're able to do business over the internet with anybody in the world because there's a contract in place that is unbreakable. That's, I think, a powerful thing. And so there's no centralization to that sort of trust. And the other is that you can create a product that has has it built in there to distribute income and or royalties or whatever to one of the original creators or developers of that product. And I think more of like along the lines of music, where you can have somebody create an album or create a song or have an interview. And people are such big fans of this person that you have like a hundred different available songs out there that are first edition, like a first edition album or a first edition book. And then that first edition song or album can be traded. And every time it's traded, the musician gets a royalty on that trade. So I think that that's another use case is like music is just an example, but just creating a whole economy around scarcity of a specific asset and having the creator of that content get paid every time it gets traded. Yeah, I think those are both great examples. The other thing that I see as a potential use case of these is obviously as a as a currency too. I think less so in like developed nations and large superpowers, 
I follow Latin America very closely. And like in Argentina, for example, their currency is devalued and there's inflation is rampant there. I could see it's already been adopted in El Salvador as the official legal tender there, Bitcoin. But I could definitely see in other Latin American nations or in other parts of the world where there's serious problems with the currency in the respective countries, them adopting some cryptocurrency. I think that was probably one of the early use cases for Bitcoin is basically if you're concerned about your central government's control over currency and potential to either inflate away the currency or at least seize that, seize assets, then you could, instead of going through hoops to offshore and have it have that be traceable, you could put it a, onto, into Bitcoin and onto a, a blockchain that's outside the boundary of government. Right. You can get on an airplane and with the code that has millions of dollars on it relative to a Bitcoin wallet, but you obviously can't do that with cash or with gold or whatever if you live in one of these impoverished places. Yeah. I'm really interested in where that's going to go from here. The other, I mean, the biggest question mark is is how to make money on the deal. And then the other question mark is, has all the money been made? And I doubt that. I think there'll be major boom and bust cycles with any new asset class, just as it gets more widely adopted and a lot of people get washed out. Other people come in, institutions start to adopt it. I mean, major funds are now, I mean, there's billions and billions of dollars that are going towards development of companies on the blockchain. It's still super early days. So I don't think all the money's been made in. I just think how difficult is it to find the, the winner? And maybe what you do is just you pick up if you're going to do it. And this is not advice, but you just, just basically throw, throw money at a wide range of these technologies and companies and hope one of them or a couple of them work out and just close your eyes for a long period of time. This is definitely one of those close your eyes asset classes because like, for example, I remember Thanksgiving meal that we had like four years ago or something like that. And Bitcoin was the conversation at the table and people were talking about how crazy it was that it had gotten to $17,000 a coin or whatever. And subsequently it went basically it went down to the low thousand dollar coin and so the people that were skeptical at the table were vindicated but then obviously it went up substantially since then got up to close to sixty two thousand dollars a coin and now it's come back down to earth with along with all these other cryptocurrencies so i really do think it's going to be interesting to see what happens if to the extent that whatever technology wins it seems like the use case is high for one's that are that allow for efficient transfer of property. Like for example, Ethereum is like a smart contract version. I think Solana is another one of those that is a platform essentially that allows for the efficient transfer of ownership. I think though something like that, it would be my guess, would be the long-term winner. But again, I don't have a dog in this hunt either. I'm watching it from the sidelines for now at least. And I, I definitely think there's going to be, it's going to be a part of our life in some form or fashion in the future. I just don't know what it is going to be. And I do see a lot of these really like the brightest minds from some of these institutions like Stanford and Harvard, et cetera, getting into the space. And that tells me that's going to, that's the way the world's going. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on uh, 30 minutes. So let's shift to personal things going on. I've hit a lull today because, well, COVID is everywhere, not just nationally, but uh, specific to New Orleans. We've got two people down in the office and I just got a text from my wife that our 
she gave our babysitter a test while because she was sniffly while she was holding our two-year-old and she tested positive so <laughs> without a babysitter we're gonna have to be in quarantine when i get home this afternoon and likely at least one kid one family member and likely myself will catch covid at some point in the next couple of days which is gonna be no fun right but saints are playing on sunday i have a daughter that's quarantined so at least we'll have some saints to, to watch yeah, my daughter is quarantined right now. She had a, a girl in her class that tested positive. The girl was asymptomatic, but the parents had to test the family for some event. And our daughter's out of school accordingly. So it's going to be a situation where I'm sure that we're all going to catch it in the near term. And if we don't, we might have be asymptomatic at least. That's definitely the way that things are going and just the nature of the beast, I guess. All right. I think that's it for us today. But like us, rate us subscribe and continue to listen and share with your friends. I don't have anything else. Do you Grant? That's it. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office and produced by Reverb. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.